This podcast series is brought to you by the International Publishers Association in honor of our 125th anniversary. Each episode is a short story told from the perspectives of our global publishing community. We hear their personal stories, where they started, and their journey into the world of publishing. Join us in welcoming Hugo Setzer, former president of the International Publishers Association from 2019 to 2020. Well, you know, probably it was uh, James Clavell's novels about Asia. Uh, I read them when I was still a kid. So especially, for example, Taipan and, and, and Noble House. And I was, I was really amazed by all what that was uh, pictured there in those novels. I wanted to, to travel, to get to know those places, and especially to know the people, to know the culture. And some, sometimes after that, I mean, when I, when, I was, when I had the privilege of becoming president of the IPA, I had the opportunity to visit Asia, and uh, it was amazing, and especially to get to know the people and, and the culture. So yeah, that was uh, really great. You have this feeling that we are all the same, even if you're, I don't know, in, in a country or a culture as different from the Western uh, culture as, as China, for example, or perhaps I may relate in a, in a moment about my experience in India, which I also found fascinating. So yeah, there, there are a lot of things. It was actually my, my father who was a publisher himself. So I, I got into the business because of my father. And uh, it was my father who introduced me to, to I, especially to IPA congresses. So he, he used to attend congresses. I uh, started attending, but I, I did so only partially. The one held in Mexico City in 1984. Um, I was still very young then, but then I had the opportunity of attending the London uh, 1988 Congress and Barcelona in 1996 uh, together with my parents. And after that, I continued attending uh, Congresses. My, my father passed away in 1999. So um, after that, I continued attending IPA Congresses. And I, I, I thought I always found it a great opportunity to to get to know people from other places and make friends and exchange ideas and viewpoints and bring back home some ideas of what was being done by other colleagues in other countries and other parts of the world. So it was um, a great opportunity to be able to attend those congresses. Actually, I... <laughs> Um, when I was a kid, I wasn't very enthusiastic about the idea of uh, getting into my father, into the family business uh, with my father. So when I was still very young, a, a kid, I wanted to be a firefighter or, or something really uh, exciting. And, and I didn't think publishing was so exciting at the time, I have to say. Uh, but then I started working in the company and I was able to see so many interesting things and to talk to authors. We are a scientific publisher, so talking to authors and, 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 and also when I started traveling to the Frankfurt Book Fair with my father and uh, having conversations with other people with whom we make business and, and, and especially that it was a business that allowed also for 
I'm someone who needs to be in contact with with people. I, I don't think I could be working in a in a lab, for example, and, and and don't have contact with people. I think I need to be in contact with people, and 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 this was a business that allowed for that. I would say, and 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 it's officially according to IPA, but I really embraced it and was able to see the importance also when I was uh, vice president and then president of the IPA, that uh, definitely the two things that are sacrosanct and, well, that we define as our two pillars are definitely copyright and freedom to publish, because without them, we would be unable to fulfill our mission to bring the creation of the intellect from authors to readers all around the world. If our copyright weren't protected, we wouldn't be recovering our investment, so we wouldn't have money to produce more books. And even with the best copyright protection, if we would be, and in some places of the world, unfortunately, that's the case, if we are threatened, uh, for example, by what we publish or incarcerated, like there are some publishers in some places of the world. So that doesn't allow us to, to fulfill our mission. We awarded a posthumous award to a Bangladeshi publisher who was killed because of the things uh, he published in Bangladesh. So it was uh, during our Delhi Congress, then suddenly someone from the team came up to me and said, there's someone uh, we would like you to speak for an interview. And I didn't have a clue who it was. And suddenly I was introduced to this lady. I mean, she was really... She has such an intense personality, uh, you can feel it only from, from being with her. And suddenly they said, well, this is the widow of this murdered publisher. And suddenly I was speechless. I, I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to tell uh, this lady. But it was such a pleasure having a conversation with her. And she's such a strong woman. And, and, and she has done so many things in the memory of her, of her husband in Dhaka, in, in Bangladesh. So it was really uh, an amazing moment. And the other one, uh, probably in summer in 2019, when we awarded, uh, uh, when we had the pre-Voltaire ceremony in Seoul, there uh, we invited, well, we had invited Egyptian publisher Khaled Lotfi who was unfortunately by the time and still is incarcerated. So his brother, Mahmoud Lotfi, came to Seoul and gave a really electrifying speech. I mean, it, he almost moved us to tears. And as mentioned, Khaled is unfortunately still in jail, but the IPA has been able to put his case in the spotlight. I'm definitely sure, and I have discussed this with Mahmoud, that he also feels that it has been a lot of help uh, to to have this ability because of the pre-Voltaire. From my point of view, it makes our societies really work in a sense that uh, we are able to communicate with, with each other, to hear about different viewpoints. When there's no freedom to publish, usually you get just one viewpoint. And, 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 and in many cases, the problem is that the official viewpoint uh, of the government, for example, but it's not only uh, official censorship, which is the problem. Sometimes, for example, nowadays, with um, social media, there is a lot of self-censorship 
because people become afraid of being attacked uh, on social media by people who might have a different opinion and then they attacking people who have published something. So it's really a problem that we, I think we still in many places lack the understanding of, of being able to hear and other uh, points of view that are different from ours and have a discussion about them without trying to silence the other person. It's, it's tremendously important for authors, for publishers, but also for everyone because it's the system that really enables for the creation and, and dissemination of ideas because since it is a system that returns value to creators, to authors and publishers, authors and publishers have incentives to dedicate their time and investment to bring more and more publications to, to the audience. So, for example, authors, and it's, it's, it's really interesting when you, when you see the work of authors that many people believe that well, that it's easy to be an author, that you just once in a while write something down and then suddenly there's a book and, and you don't have to do a lot about it. And it's so so wrong, this viewpoint, because it takes a really a lot of work and effort and they have to really work on their publications, on their books, and they have to make a living from that. And it's the same with publishers. I mean, publishers, we do a lot of investment. We employ a lot of people to be able to bring that book to the market and to the readers. And copyright is a system that allows us to have every day more publications brought to the audience and motivating authors to keep on writing because if there's copyright, they can make a living of, of that. Otherwise, they, they wouldn't be writing. They would be doing something else. There were so many, it was such a privilege being able to serve the IPA as vice president first and then as president. There were so many, but I think probably the, the, our International Publishers Congress in Delhi in 2018. And for several reasons, uh, one of them is that I really loved the country. India is really amazing. It's so interesting. I loved being able to work with my Indian colleagues. It was such a pleasure to work with them. They were so nice to work with. And on the other hand, it was really such a great experience to be able to participate from the inside in the organization of such an event that I had attended numerous times in the past. So I had been attending IPA congresses since 1988, and now it was my chance to be part of the organization of such a congress. So I, I, I really had a chance to, to see uh, all that is involved, to be able to have such an event, to bring people from every corner of the world together. So uh, that was um, amazing. And also to witness once again the importance of such a congress for international cooperation. I was thinking of the positive impact first uh, publishing has on humanity. For example, the way publishers stepped up during the pandemic last year, for example, I mean, we're not done yet with the pandemic, but uh, how we stepped up last year uh, where many publishers decided to make scientific publications available for free on a temporary basis as our contribution to tackle the pandemic. And we have to remind that this was possible 
because uh, we, we had copyright. Copyright was later on attacked and, and, and some people said, well, if you can put it for free now, why don't you do that all the time? And well, that's of course nonsense. We, we need to have copyright in place. We need to be able to recover our investment to be able to do this uh, when it's needed for a crisis like we, we had last year. So that's impact, for example, of, of publishing in general. But also, for example, last year with the pandemic, I could see the impact that we had as an association internationally because of all the support we got from our members. One of the concerns we had was that since many publishers were really affected in their in their revenues because of the pandemic, it would be difficult for publishers to pay their, their fees to their associations. And then in turn, those national associations would perhaps be have difficulties paying their fees to the IPA. So we were concerned about that and the possibility. I mean, we need, of course, all those fees to keep going and to do our work. And it was heartwarming to see almost all of the associations, I mean, they, they, they made an effort and we had such a response from all our members last year, for example, with the payment of the fees. And I mention it, I mean, it, it, it's just a financial thing, but I mention it because that shows that IPA was important enough for them at a time where they're cu- they were cutting back other uh, expenses, uh, but IPA's fee was really important to them because they realized the, the importance of the IPA. We immediately established a communications process by which we were in contact with uh, our associations, our members all over the world. We were constantly in contact. We were asking what they needed, how we could help. And I also think it was a moment where it was important to have a a friendly voice over the other end of the line saying, okay, we will get through this together and to help you motivate you that we would overcome this. And that's what we did. and, And I think it really had an impact. There are a lot of examples where we have been engaging with our members, asking them what they needed. We have been sending submissions, for example, when there were uh, copyright discussions at their congresses, for example. And one of the examples is also when uh, and there is still a discussion going on in Canada because of the copyright law in Canada, which was amended in 2013, I think it was. And they introduced a lot of of exceptions to their copyright law. And that has devastated the publishing industry. There are a lot of of Canadian authors who are not writing anymore uh, because they're not getting back their money for their work. There were a lot of, of especially Canadian publishers, who had to close their doors. I think I I went twice or three times to, to Canada during that period. Once when I still was vice president of the IPA for a congressional hearing about that copyright law where I mentioned to that committee of Congress that was uh, having that hearing that Canada was perceived as an outlier in the international community because of this copyright law. And they were really surprised. They came up to me after the hearing and said, really, is that true? And then my my Canadian colleague said, we have been telling that to these people for a couple of years now. But until now that someone from an international organization comes and tells them the same thing we have been telling, now they believe it 
because because it's someone from from another country from an international organization so i think and i've been discussing it with our canadian colleagues that they think it has been a great val of great value uh, that we have been supporting that ipa has been supporting their fight to to fix that copyright law it's an interesting question because as you mentioned there are a lot of challenges, especially in times like these, when we still have to overcome this pandemic, we will do so. But uh, it has been much longer than I think any of us uh, would have expected ever. But I think if we could talk about the one challenge, which is especially important for publishing nowadays, I would say that it, it's and it has to do with the last question, the public perception that information, especially on the Internet, should be free. And that copyright is an obstacle to the access of information. And that story has been supported and fed by the large technological companies. Also because those technological companies, which are largest companies we have seen, the largest and richest companies we've seen in the history of humankind, they operate on a different business model. So they need free content to be able to operate their business model. So it's, it's, it's in benefit for them to have free content. So they have been telling this story that, well, content should be free and why should we, you be paying for that content? And it's uh, and related to, to what I just mentioned in, in, in Canada, for example, it's very easy when you see all the publications that are out there, all the value that's in there because of copyright, and then you think, oh, okay, there's a lot of things out there. Why do we have a system whereby we have to pay for that? We just could have, for example, copyright exceptions like what they decided in Canada because the information is already there. So let's have copyright exceptions. And so everyone could have access to that information. So it, it, it sounds really great. The problem is that it's not sustainable. Once you start giving away that information for free, that information that was produced under the previous copyright system will be given away for free, of course, but then no new information will be published. There will be no incentives, as is happening in Canada, for authors to write new books and publishers will have no incentives to invest in publishing new books as what happened in Canada. So uh, I think that's the, the really the challenge we have to overcome to convince people that copyright is not an obstacle for the access of information, but it's an enabler for the access to information. I need to be able to do this job and to have this privilege of leading such an important international association. You definitely need to be passionate about what you do. Uh, you, you, you can't do it halfways. You, you need to be passionate about it. It's really a privilege to be able to serve the publishing industry and then having said that and not to serve your own needs, of course. I mean, it's not something for oneself to show off and to say, well, you know, I'm president of this organization. It's an opportunity for service. So you have to have your ego under control. And what is really important is to be able to listen, to be patient. And for a truly international association, it is essential to be able to understand 
different opinions and ways of thinking, different cultures. You know, we have members, we have 86 members, I think, in over 70 countries. So we have in every continent. So we have different cultures, different ways of thinking, different backgrounds. So you have to take all of this into account. You have to understand it. You have to listen. And then it is your job to try to harmonize them all and to walk in the same direction. I think one of the things that we can be proud of our industry is that we have shown to be able to be innovative. When you look back at the last 25 years and how technology has changed our business, and you can see how we have embraced new technology, how most of the publishers nowadays are going digital, especially after last year in the pandemic. I mean, if some publishers weren't embracing digital yet, it was kind of the last call. I don't, and having said that, I don't foresee necessarily that print will be lost. On the contrary, I think we will see a world where both will be combined because a lot of people still love to read on print. So there will be printed books out there still, but digital is so important. So many people are looking for digital resources as well. And, and publishers are definitely, I think, all over the world embracing new technology. So when you look back and see how we have been able to adapt to technology, I'm sure we will be able to continue to do that in the future. And now, for example, I was thinking that we always need new ideas and new blood, and for example, also for the association. And it's so great to see now that the leadership of the IPA, I think two of the youngest and, and more capable publishers uh, with Budur Al-Khasimi and with uh, Karini Pansa as president and vice president for the first time ever, uh, two women also at the helm of the IPA app. So I think it's, it's, it's really amazing and uh, I think the future is really promising. This podcast series is brought to you by the International Publishers Association. The IPA is the world's largest federation of national, regional and specialist publishers' associations. Our membership comprises 86 organisations from 71 countries in Africa, Asia, Australasia, Europe and the Americas. Through its members, IPA represents thousands of individual publishers around the world who service markets containing more than 5.6 billion people. Learn more about the IPA by visiting www.internationalpublishers.org.